Um, so yeah, like we all mentioned, this semester we're excited to be a part of this immersive experience studio class. And the, the thing with the word immersive, I, it's become sort of a buzzword, not even just in the industry. I think kind of everywhere, everybody wants immersive. It's This is immersive, this is immersive. Um, last week was the, the DC Fandome yes, uh, experience. Was. I know where you're going with this. This was advertised as a 24-hour fully immersive experience. Exactly. But, you know, you put it on, it's a, it's <laughs> it's a like live YouTube, stream. A YouTube live yeah. stream of, live like, stream. with a Twitter feed down the right side. Exactly. I was like, where is the immersion at all in I any know. of this? So it, it's kind of the frustrating thing. And then I'm sure that what we're going to hash out over this course of the semester is what is true immersion? How, how do you kind of take the word back from, you know, everybody that has been using it just to kind of be a filler adjective to, to kind of beef up their, their copy or, or their title? Like, wh what is true immersion in terms, of, uh, in terms of entertainment in general? And I'd say, is themed entertainment the ideal place for immersive entertainment? as opposed to movies or, or comics or something like that, you know? I have some pretty strong feelings that I've already, like, articulated. And uh, I, at this point in time, believe that immersive is actually just marketing language. Sure. Um, it, it, to me, is language that is not useful in our field. Um, now, to go, on, to go on with this, the word themed was that way 20 years ago. Absolutely. Like themed was sort of a marketing term that wasn't helpful in pinpointing what that was. And now it's sort of been reclaimed by the industry and, and we know what that means. But uh, I believe that, you know, immersion is always the goal in themed entertainment and that it is a spectrum um, in, you know, what kind of immersion that you want. I think that uh, Universal and Disney are creating concepts that are, uh, in line with sort of modern trends and sometimes get critiqued for their immersion. But I think that they understand the spectrum of immersion that they want at that moment in time. Uh, when it comes to like highly immersive, uh, where you can't help to want to get involved, I think that this is a sensation that like many, many uh, theme park fans and people in the industry feel. I don't want to assume that when my father went to Hogsmeade that he felt highly immersed mm -hmm. because he has no connection with Harry Potter other than that his child loves it. Uh, and in fact, when we went, he was there an hour and I was there four hours. I told him <laughs> to leave me there. Um, so I think that immersive for me is just right now a marketing term because it is always yeah. the goal. Uh, and what is being pushed necessarily is participation. Mm -hmm. So I think that the term you know, it's like a high, does it have a high participation of its guests is sort of what we're going with. Obviously, participation isn't sexy. It's not a sexy term right. that you can use. <laughs> yeah. Like Check this out, guys. It's going to be participatory. <laughs> yeah. Like opportunities Ooh. for participation is, is what people really are pushing. In my belief, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Like how, how can you get involved in whatever story we're trying to tell? That's the goal. And I, I, we haven't talked about this, David, but I think that we actually have different beliefs when it comes to participation of theme park guests. <laughs> well, I think we have different beliefs on immersion, too. I, I mean, that's been a theme from day one in our class. I think that was the first discussion we ever had in, in one of these classes is what is immersion. Um, and I think it's easy to point to these highly themed lands. Mm -hmm. I'm stealing your term, highly. 
Uh, yeah, it's not about the immersion. It's the scale of the immersion. Um, but yeah, when you talk about diagonality, when you talk to, when you talk about Galaxy's Edge, obviously that's a, what's known as a highly Im immersive land, right? Um, that is, I completely forgot what I was talking about. Well, uh, like what, 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 what <laughs> about, train of thought. well, what about Diagon Alley and Galaxy's Edge I remember is I a different about. experience than Fantasyland or, um, the Lost Continent. Okay. I'm going to take it back. Um, <laughs> so on the first day of class, we had the discussion of what is immersion. And I think it's easy to point to highly immersive lands like Galaxy's Edge and Diagon Alley, uh, which create a 360-degree environment mm -hmm. that you are immersed in, right? But then, you know, that discussion, our, our teacher also brings up the point where when you're watching a really good TV show, if you know, if you're a big Game of Thrones fan and you watch it every week, you are immersed in the world of that show when you're watching it. You know all the lingo. You mm. know th all the, the place names. You know all the character names. You think about it after, you know, the show's over. You go out and you buy the merchandise for it. You want to be a part of that world. That, that world is not 360 degrees around you. It's on your TV. But is that still an immersive experience? I don't know. It depends on how you find it. Um, the way I, I think I personally define it, is I, I think as far as the theme park goes, it is a physical setting. It is a sensory uh, definition where you are in this land and you they, they remove all reminders that there are other things out there. So it's not the same as an original theme park ride, you know, which was basically a facade and a marquee and you go in and you get on the ride and there it is, it's in a big box. You know, now it's lands where you go in through a portal and then that land is 360 degrees around you. and when it's done well, you cannot see the roller coaster that's outside that has nothing to do with it. Right. And so I think that's that's where my definition of immersion lands. When you start talking about participation, I, I'm into that as well. I, I think it has to do with like there's almost like a role playing element in in the, the new, you know, kind of immersion For focused sure, yeah. lands. And that that's kind of almost the best case scenario is like we want this to be so real so sensory for these people, so engaging for these people that they want to dress up in their Harry Potter robes yeah. and come and act out their own stories and feel like they're a part of the story. And then when we're talking about what is the end game for immersion, where is this trend going? I always point at like, like Westworld, the mm. well, TV show used to be an old movie, might've been a book yes. before that. Um, it was a book, exactly. movie. Nailed it, got TV it right. Show. Um, so, <laughs> the, but the TV show basically is there, it's in the future. It's a Michael Crichton book. It is, yeah. 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 That makes sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're in a... He just makes weird yeah. theme parks. <laughs> they're in a Western theme park where all of the staff and performers are artificial intelligence, you know, enabled robots mm -hmm. that can act out any role that they could ever need in this Western setting to the point where you can kill them and you can sleep with them and you can, <laughs> you know, <laughs> either do whatever. But, but it enables the guests in that show... To, to do anything they want, to role play anything they want in that world. And I always wonder, I mean, this is, a, I pose it as a question, like, is that the end game of immersion? Is that really what we want? I, I've had some people say, like, some people go to Harry Potter and they're just as happy standing with their back against the wall and just looking. Yeah. Some people don't want to participate. And so mm -hmm. I've, even, I've even had projects here where I'm like, this is going to be the most immersive thing. Uh, you know, everybody's going to have a role and they're all going to have tasks that they have to do. And they go, well, you need to think about the whatever percentage of guests that don't want to participate. Right. And you have to make it just as good and just as engaging for them, too. Think about your dad. 
coming to I, you yes. know. I, well, the funny thing is, I, I feel dead. like we give dads a bad rap. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm hope, especially as theme park. I want to be a dad one day. I don't dad know. Dad is the guys. butt of every joke. It, it's well, and like there is this sort of <laughs> We're idea. We're gonna be theme park dads. We don't count. <laughs> there is this idea though of the dad who does not want to right like participate. I don't know what the word is. Engage. They don't want to. And I don't know why we have this image, but but I do think that that person is an important person to think about. And when it goes back to theater, the beauty of theater is you know you're, it's on a proscenium stage, mm -hmm. you see the lights, you know that it's not real. But there comes a moment where you kind of forget that the person's playing, like that tragic thing happening to them really happened. And you don't know them, you haven't met them. You know, when your friend of 10 years cries to, with you on the phone, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that actor on stage breaks down <laughs> and you're crying. Yeah. And I, I do think that ultimately that is the goal. And I think that these 360 environments do do that, where you enter into I, a Diagon Alley is just a go-to because magic is a part of it. Sure. But this can apply to Galaxy's Edge or any other area that, like, for a moment, you forget that it's, like, technology running it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, that really happened. You know, it's really raining. Or, oh, my gosh, we lifted that book. For a moment, there's this suspense of disbelief. Uh, and the beauty of theme parks is it can do it, in my opinion, so much better than theater. There's this very real tactile experience that you get in a theme park where magic really happens versus, like, the distance of the stage allows you to be like, wow, look what's happening over there. But in theme parks, look what's happening right in front of me. And I mean, we are seeing a trend of immersive theater uh, that that is a, a, a an offshoot right now. And you talk about Sleep No More is what brought you to this industry and, right. and, and awoke your passion yeah. in it. Uh, well, and I feel bad because I, I don't like... I don't like saying hearsay necessarily, and I don't like have the pulse on the right places necessarily, but immersive theater is expensive. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, theme parks are expensive too, but like, but <laughs> it, they we're make doing that money. It's, expensive. it's so big. <laughs> it's like film, you know, films cost millions of dollars, but guess what? You're going to rake in hundreds of millions. Yeah. And theme parks, it's like, wow, like, oh my gosh, there's going to be a $50 million budget that will earn us 4 billion. Mm -hmm. So immersive theater got so expensive you know you kind of had this height of like sleep no more and and then she fell which is a lower budget one that's based on alice and uh great comet which when it transferred to broadway lost its charm in in my opinion it lost the charm of of the actors being right there they tried to build these pathways so that they would be near you but they weren't on your table like they were right. in the tent version and Right now, I mean, there's an economic collapse happening right now. I don't know if you're aware, but uh, up to this point, like people and producers gave up because you have to hire more stage managers. Uh, you have to, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Sleep No More is not unionized. Mm. Um, the actors would love it, but the, the union recognizes it as an event, not sure, as a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you often need more performers, more writing, right. more lighting. Um, Safety is a huge thing, especially in larger cities where um, they have way higher safety regulations than other areas. Uh, so I, I want immersive theater to find its way back, but theme parks right now are progressing way faster. There's sort of this stop of immersive theater, and I think theme parks are taking over. Mm -hmm. I think that um, places like Meow Wolf and, and these art houses are actually going to go in where theater artists could have gone. Right. You know, and then you're going to start seeing these like, oh, they used to make these like rides and attractions, but now they're making theater as yeah. opposed to Ars Nova 
or the Nederlanders or whoever. Because going back to what we were talking about, what is a theme park if not a blown-up theatrical set for which performances are to happen? So I think theme parks can kind of take over immersive theater and just kind of do it there. You know, the, the money's already being spent. So it, you might as well tag I, on an extra million. I'm in this <laughs> field with the with the belief that that is the case. And I yeah. also know that there's probably like a different version of me that is actually on the other side, still in theater, waiting for that to happen over sure. there. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing, too, with immersive theater is uh, marketability. I have a close friend who did an immersive theater installation where it was just him, his girlfriend, in a tent, in a room with one uh audience member is this one-on-one no it's not okay, called one-on-one i honestly don't remember okay no 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 there, there's <laughs> one-on-one theater which is like there, but you're like in a forest yeah. and it's like you and one other person in a telephone booth yeah it's crazy and like that's immersive theater but how marketable is that especially when we're talking about you know multi-billion dollar theme park stuff it's it's, it's kind of on a completely different plane so i think making it more approachable making it more marketable marketable by putting it in the most pedestrian place on earth, Magic Kingdom, you know, just kind of brings new life to immersive theater. And yeah, that's my thinking on it, at least. I'm going to throw one theory out there and then I'll let David speak. <laughs> um, I saw him take a breath. Um, I, I do that a lot. I take a lot of breaths. Uh, I mean, I think it's required for life right now. Um, so I also believe as well, we're already seeing it, but I think that we are going to get some strains of themed entertainment. I think that in the next 10 years, we're going to get some really weird companies making yeah. weird art that that throws into question what, what does theme entertainment mean? What does sure. immersive theater mean? And people are probably going to label their work and they're going to deny that label. I think we're going to get into weird spaces that we never imagined because, you know, uh, the big ones that we think about that everyone's a fan of, Universal Studios, Magic Kingdom, they have a huge audience. And there are micro audiences within there that mm -hmm. are hungering for something else. And Evermore took a little chunk of that. Um, and I do think that there's going to be other artists who are going to like sweep in and create those 360 environments on a budget, a little smaller space. We're going to include some actors. You know, we know that everyone's going to speak English because of our demographics. Sure. And so we can have more text because we're being taught to let go of text for larger companies yeah. or overseas even, because we'll, it'll be, need to be translated anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just full agreement, done. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's good you brought up Evermore. That That's kind of the closest we have right now to, to Westworld, I guess, in, in intention at least. Right. Because uh, it is their intention that it is a fully immersive role-playing land where the guests are expected to talk to the, um, the, the the cast members, the, the the players in there, they get quests, they interact, they, they do things throughout the day for a goal. Um, I, I think they are limited by their budget. I think that's, you know, for better right. or worse, the theme parks, the major theme parks are the leaders of this theme space because they have the budget for it. And then that goes back to your audience and sure. the wide appeal yeah exactly that's great for the people who are down you know they want to oh evermore up. yeah oh but yeah well it's it's very fantasy yeah. it's very you know and and you're right that it that doesn't then, have as much appeal as, yeah. as maybe a big blockbuster movie so how how sustainable is that mm -hmm. for for how long can you only market to a small niche group of people who are big into theme parks right. are big into fantasy world building 
and are down to go and participate in this highly immersive story Which, experience. And mind you, they don't have rides there. They don't no have rides. Any, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the theme parks still have to cater to the thrill seekers, exactly. the amusement park goers. I don't think it's a really a kid-oriented thing. It's kind of like gothic and horror influence, so I don't know how many kids are going. I want to go so bad, but I also <laughs> just want to sit at the bar. Like, I literally yeah. just want to, like, sit on the end and just watch things happen. And as soon as somebody comes up, I'm like, hey, that guy over there really wants you to go talk to him. Yeah. Have either of you guys been at all? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. No, it, I don't it, think I would enjoy it. For someone who, for <laughs> who like, supports interaction and stuff so much, I'm, I think I'm the guy that that's – that's a little past the line of participation that I'm looking for. I am so grateful to hear this. I have all these thoughts where I'm like, oh, like somebody's going to judge me if I say it. Like I, I feel the exact same way. Like as somebody who loves, like, like when I go meet Mickey Mouse, I talk to him as Mickey Mouse and mm -hmm. have a full on conversation with him as the cast members trying to like translate Mickey's <laughs> movements. I don't know if I could like take a quest or yeah. participate. It's a big ask, honestly. It's a, I think it's a huge ask. And I think that, you know, there's a very fine line of like making a guest have an amazing experience or feeling disturbed. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and maybe that line is what the, you know, what like Diagon Alley does now where it, it makes that experience available to you if you wish. We're going to set the stage. We're going to give you everything you need. If you want to take it to that level, you're more than welcome to. But everyone else still has plenty that they can take from it as well. Yeah. Until Celestina pulls you up on stage. And then you're in the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, um, so this past week, I wanted to touch on this really quick. There was an article going around that I saw a lot of kind of industry people and industry leaders uh, share. And it was from Google. And it's essentially saying, you don't need college anymore, says Google. And what Google is essentially do doing is offering these online courses that are meant to replace a four-year university degree. I think I'll get started on this conversation because, um, you know, you see that stuff and you're in college and it's like kind of triggering to you. It's like, oh, what am I doing? It's like and then this person is now saying, like, you don't need to go to college anymore. Um, but I think for us specifically. This is not a trade, you know, this is a uh, an industry with many barriers to entry and s like so much uh pre-knowledge that you need to have you can't just walk up and get a job at imagineering you got to know all the stuff you got to know the words you got to know the techniques you got to know the software so i think having these programs and and thank god you know there's only a handful of these and there's not even a handful there's two three maybe and then it, it's only going to get bigger now as this becomes more of a popular industry not just from these theme parks but through other stuff too um yeah just a, a to hear you guys' thoughts on that, just because it is it is disheartening as a college student to see that stuff, but you can kind of debunk it based on your own academic program, I think. Yeah, I, I just wanted to clarify barrier to entry because I, I don't want it to sound like it's, it's discriminatory in any way, no. which is, I think, how that term is commonly used. Like, for me, I think the barriers to entry are, are so much about specificity. Skills and, and knowledge-based no barriers yeah. to entry. Um, very true. And, and that is what led me to this program where I got to a point in my career where it was self-evident that I did not have the skills that I needed to get where I wanted to go. Right. And for me, that took the form of I was going to search out some programs, uh, you know, single classes, certificates, online programs, whatever, just to get a little more well-versed with some of these things so I could talk about it. 
it was fortunate for me that this program was announced right at that time when I was looking for those yeah. things where, you know, this program kind of serves it all up on a silver platter. Um, but that, you know, that is one of the things that I think uh, an academic, you know, structured uh, program, like a formal program can offer uh, that, you know, Google probably <laughs> doesn't offer as well. Uh, I think the other big thing uh, that that makes these academic programs important is the access and the uh, networking opportunities Absolutely. that you get as, as a part of uh, being involved with it. Even in the last year, I have learned so much more about this industry than I ever did before. I have met so many people mm. in this industry than I ever would have. And even just... Uh, you know, my LinkedIn, I keep getting an email. It's like, people are noticing you. People are looking <laughs> at your LinkedIn. Never had before. But now even that I've started to make some of these connections or mm -hmm. I've started to put some of these portfolio things online or I've started to put some of these keywords on my profile, you're coming up in searches. I've noticed I've gotten farther in interview processes than yeah. I ever have before, in internship processes than I ever have. Because like it or not, I think there are still check marks that, employers are looking right. for. They are still looking for a college degree. They are still looking for buzzwords, you know, exactly. in certain experiences, whether it's an algorithm or whatever that's searching for this. When they see that you have put in a time and effort to achieve these things, it, it opens a door that maybe would not be open for you before. David, I'm going to take this time to formally ask. Um, I would love to look at your LinkedIn profile and resume, and I promise not to copy exactly. <laughs> I'll change up the work a little bit so that no one notices. But I think I need, I need some. I of think that, it still needs work. Words. That's ever evolving. <laughs> That's the. Uh, can I copy your homework? Sure, but change Just some change things. Change it a little. Yes. <laughs> That's still evolving. My, I mean, my portfolio. I don't think is is perfect by any means. I, I think. That's part of what we're learning. Exactly. Too. Yeah. That, there you go. Expanding Perfect. Expanding your skill set. I I had, I had a website that I had put together when I first moved to LA, that somebody had told me put all your work together in one place so you can send people to it. Yeah. You know, if they want to ask about you. Since joining this program and learning so much more about what people are looking for, how to uh, showcase my work, how to showcase my specific skills, that's all changed completely. Mm my resume as well to the point where like that explains so much of why I wasn't getting any attention. before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, I took notes on this article, but I'm not going to go oh. into the extensive <laughs> notes that I put in. Well, I, you know, I think that you brought up a, a great point and I think that, um, it's hard because like the, the posting people posting about the article, it's a little sensationalist. Yeah. The article itself, like it's roller coasters though, between yeah. like, Oh, mild statement to like, dramatic <laughs> oversimplification. Um, but I think that like there's the top highlight of the article, which I'll read now is to be blunt, university degrees are only as valuable as the weight applied by company hiring managers. Mm. And Google has just signaled the $300 certificate has parity with a diploma. Uh, and I think that, you know, this is just an oversimplification. What is happening is, you know, we think about like when we were in high school and it's like, well, you can, learn a trade or you can go to a university and, and I don't know what I was convinced I was going to learn, but at a university, <laughs> but I chose that path. Um, but we're, we're seeing tech trade, you know, these are, these are it specialists. Right. And we are now at a point where like, I mean, I, 
I'm going to be terrified when I have my kid because they're going to learn coding at the age of five, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll be like, dad, help me with my homework. And I'll be like, this is impossible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're seeing the rise of the tech trade. So like the article is legitimate in so much as like there are certain skills you can now learn and you don't need a degree before you needed a degree in computers just right. to do the most basic tasks. And that's not the case anymore. Um, but uh, when there's an emerging field, there's always this like fine line between like, you know, I think we all grew up with the story of the guy who like served popcorn and then like made the next great attraction. You know, that's like the, the, Tony Baxter. The, the myth <laughs> uh, that is Tony Baxter. Um, the myth of, uh, and he has a college degree. Like there's this like sensational in, story. Yeah. In theater design. He, he was an intern. Um, but you know, you, you do have those stories of people who happen to get into this or, or, um, there's a, there's a writer um, that all three of us know about who uh, worked in the theme parks and then kind of got picked up and worked on the creative side as mm -hmm. a consultant and then as an employee. Uh, but we're at that fine line where like those stories are going to start dwindling down because now there's demand for more and more and more right. and more specialization. Um, there are people who could go work at an animation studio, but they work in themed entertainment because animation is in themed entertainment now, yeah. you know? So the, for us, um, whether it is people who are getting their BFA or their bachelors specialized in themed entertainment or their masters, like it is gonna be required. And even though we are not visual artists, I don't regret a single day of learning what we learn because, uh, you know, the, the writing will get us in the door for an internship sure. or to be on a team, but you know, we're in this for the long haul, mm -hmm. you know, 40, 50 years from now, all those skills that we learn, the visual, the communication, the collaboration, the, the architecture, the drawing, the color theory, that will put us at that field that we really want, you know, 25, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, we're, we're at the point where we're starting to have a lot of teachers come in who are not traditionally teachers. They are people who yeah. have worked in the industry. And that is invaluable for us, yeah. that we are hearing it from the horse's mouth. This is how this company works. This is the things that we expect. These are the, the papers that you deliver, the, the forms or the yeah. projects or whatever. Uh, and that that's huge for me because I think, yes, to, to an extent, like education is becoming deformalized when you can learn Photoshop online on YouTube and you can learn how to edit movies. And there's certainly plenty of people in the creative field and non-creative fields or whatever that have gotten an incredible education and skill set on their own and have gone and done incredible things. Yeah. I think for me, this just made it a little bit easier and it served it up. Uh, and I think it maybe does offer some of those intangible things like networking, like getting your foot in the door that that maybe otherwise you'd be just lost in the sea of 100,000 other employees at these parks sure. that all want to do the exact same thing you do. Right. Uh, and Carson, maybe you could talk about how, uh, you know, this this field, which is starting to newly formalize, uh, this academic pursuit of themed experience mm -hmm. and and what's kind of unique about it and, and what's kind of forming and matriculating. Well, it, it's tricky because the thing that a lot of people say is, uh, you know, this isn't something you can just read a book about and then go out and do because there isn't, in a an industry that has so historically dr been driven by innovation, it's hard to sit down in a classroom and and have a, a tangible, you know, kind of course plan for this is how you build a ride. Because there, there's no one way to build a ride. There's a hundred ways. The same way that there's no one way to make a movie. But we've had film school for 
50, 60 years. I think it's taking the, the tenets of things that have been done well, bringing that in, using those as case studies, and then expanding off of that and kind of going your own way, which I think we do a lot. There's things that definitely inspire us and we draw from in our projects. And then, uh, you know, you add a new twist on it. You add a new spin to it. But um, I think for themed experiences in general, it's, it's something that, like we said a million times tonight, the skills and the knowledge barriers to entry, like you need to participate in some kind of formalized educational experience. It doesn't have to be graduate school. It doesn't have to be a bachelor's degree. It can be a, one of these great uh, online workshop programs that's popping up. You need to have some sort of formalized education. Because even I've seen every imaginary documentary. I've read all the books. There's still stuff I don't know. There's tons of things I don't know. And I come to these classes and I'm like, I've never even heard of this. This is the first time I'm hearing about this, you know? So you can be a fan to an extent, but you need to take that next step. You, you need to, to get educated formally because there's no way without some kind of formalized education, you can't just pick up and do it, you know? So I think I'm glad that this is on the rise and I'm glad that these programs are popping, popping up because it's, it, it's something that needs to be done. And like I said, it doesn't have to be collegiate. People are um, being very gracious right now and generous with their time and, and starting these online workshop programs. We'll discuss those later on in the podcast on future episodes. Um, so there's definitely a avenues for everybody. The, again, going back to there's not one path into themed entertainment. Everybody has their own path. Um, it's part of what's kind of interesting about this is everybody has their own background. As we've shared tonight, everybody has their own background and educational experience and jobs they've worked and how those job experiences play into your current skill set and how you use those and draw back on, oh, 10 years ago I was a PA in L.A. and uh, this is how I know about this film production because now there's a filmed element in this attraction they're working on. It's like, I've been on a film set. I already know that stuff. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's, it's good to, to kind of hash that out when you see – Especially right now, you're in a, a vacuum, and you see stuff like that, and you're like, oh, that's disappointing. I'm about to start school again. <laughs> and it's like, Google says, you don't need college anymore. I was like, Google? What? I know Google. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that I brought you guys on tonight. Uh, great conversations. I, I knew that you guys would just knock it out of the park in terms of carrying the load of being the first episode of, of this crazy podcast I'm working on. I wanted to wrap up tonight with three questions that I plan to ask uh, all my guests on the podcast right at the end. Um, sentence or two answers, Jordan. <laughs> so sorry. Was not aware. But yes, I can commit to that. Um, so the first question, why is the University of Central Florida the best place to study themed experience design? And I'll start with Jordan. I mean, you can literally take a class on how to build an attraction and then go experience one in less than mm. 15 minutes. Yeah. David? We are in the epicenter of the themed experience industry. Right. In Central Florida. Mm -hmm. The biggest parks are here. The biggest companies are here, for the most part. That's not true. Imagineering's in California. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they're, they're in Orlando. They're here is too. growing. Yeah. But even, I mean, third-party companies... They're all here. Yeah. And and work that is being done all over the world is still being based out of here. Mm -hmm. Very true. Okay, so the second question, I'm calling this, what you working with? 
what is your favorite software that uh, you know is an industry standard that you're using for whether it be projects or for our personal things? Um, what is your favorite software that you're using right now? And, and you just get excited when you boot it up and you're ready to create in this software. What's your, what's your go-to right now? Right now, for me, it's After Effects. But David... What you working with? I'm gonna say not Maya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maya. As tough. you notice, we uh, as as we talked about, we learned Maya last year, and that was that was something. I'm happy to have learned it, but I, it also solidified that that is not my field. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh man, as a writer, uh, I love Final Draft. I love. Yeah. I love. You know, you can write a script in anything, but it's just so nice when it formats it Formatting for you. Formatting is and therapeutic. It, and it makes it a yeah. little bit magical. You are you just hit one keystroke and your and your script looks beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, my my real answer, though, is going to be very pedestrian. Uh, my favorite program that I use for everything <laughs> is, is Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> I, we use it for everything. I mean, we use it yeah. for practically every single project. Everything is a presentation. And, and the... One of the key things, I mean, we've said it before, um, this this industry, this business is so much about communicating your ideas yeah. visually. Even if you're not a visual artist, as a writer, you got to figure out a way to communicate your ideas visually. I've had the creative writer of a whole company tell me this verbatim. He's like, just use PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Just, you, you can... PowerPoint is incredibly powerful yeah. if you know the little shortcuts. And they're cheats. It's not quite Photoshop. But you can do a lot of things on there. You can make uh, little animated things. You mm -hmm. can make movies. You can make uh, storyboards. You can make color boards and, and reference images and all those things. And, and that's sometimes all you need. Yeah. Jordan? I'm going to say Outlook. I, nothing <laughs> excites me more than sending an email and being like, let's make cool stuff happen. Yeah. That's, that's important. You see, like, think about how many jobs you apply for. And it's like, are you proficient in Outlook? And you're like, you kind of laugh. It's like, huh, the email system? But no, like, everything is done through email. All communication filters in and out through email. And you guys, out Outlook being the, the go-to, you know? Do you guys lie about Excel, too? Do you lie about Excel? I'm like, yeah, I know how to, I know how to do that. So <laughs> I, fun <laughs> side story, when I was in New York City and, like, desperate for money, I applied for a... Um, temp agency and they make you take proficiency tests beforehand and so i took word which was like 100 mm. percent, and then excel and i was like they're not gonna hire me so i did the proficiency test whatever i was like wow like that was embarrassing i went in and the company wanted to hire me mm. like the temp agency was like no we want to hire you we don't want to hire you out to somebody else like we want you working in our office so uh when you think that you're lying you may not be lying. Mm, I see. <laughs> to somebody else, your wordsmithing and <laughs> spreadsheets is <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right, final question here. What is your favorite resource? And it doesn't have to be all time. It could be kind of right now, similar to the last question. What is your favorite resource to learn about themed experiences? I is it like a in general or like a yeah, specific anything, book? Anything, a book, a website. A TV show, documentary. I'm gonna say YouTube series. This is so trade crazy. organization. There is a book called um, Gosh, now I have to remember it. I think it's Designing Disney's Theme Parks: The Architecture of Reassurance. That's it. You That's nailed the it. one. And when I before I entered the program or program advisor, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And he goes, Read this book. 
and I did, and it's made by a museum, so it's not the most interesting Imagineering book, mm. but it showed me how, like, every art form is just everything is a remix. Like, nobody knows what they're doing. They're just trying to make something new and be innovative, and that, like, there is no preset. Like, every time you work on a new project, there is something about it that has never been done before, and you just have to say yes. And that book was ultimately what made me say yes. Yeah. Um, I, since starting this program, I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do as far as my knowledge in the industry. Uh, and one of my personal goals of this program is I've just started, like, crushing through books that are at the library. <laughs> I've, like, just checked out every book they have on themed experience, and I, I've tried to read through them. Um, Carson is one of my favorite resources for themed experience because this guy has put in the legwork and knows so much about the industry, knows so much about the players in the industry, about the companies, about the people at the companies, about the relationships. Uh, and so if I ever have a business question, I usually ask him about who's this guy or what's this company do? And he's generous with that info. Like he oh, does yeah. not hide it to or keep it to himself, which yeah. I love because so many people in this world are like, no, that's mine. I worked hard for that. Yeah. And guess what? That's what this podcast is. Boom. It's me. I've spent all this time. I've spent 20 years on the internet researching and going to these meetings and stuff. And, and this is my way. I'm 25, 25, I'm 25 years old. But you're in this industry and you see people giving back and you're like, yeah, I want to give back too. It doesn't even matter that I'm, I'm not really in yet. You immediately want to start giving back and volunteering your time. So that's what this is. So that was a great advertisement. I'm going to cut that, play it on <laughs> with my little graphic. It's going to be a, a perfect advertisement <laughs> for this podcast in the future. Great setup. Great setup. Yeah. And for those of you who don't have direct access to Carson, uh, YouTube. YouTube is, is a great resource. YouTube is great. I, they, I love YouTube. There are so many people who have spent a lot of time and effort making video essays about the history of attractions, about the history of yeah. the industry, uh, about current attractions, about current technologies, um, and and we get to benefit from their work for YouTube. It also lets you go on any attraction around the entire world, which is mm -hmm. incredibly valuable as well that we don't have to go to – Shanghai to, to see like the coolest ride, you know, the coolest ever, parts of the Caribbean ever ride made <laughs> or whatever. And, and so, you know, these are things, especially whenever I start a project, I feel YouTube is the first place I start mm. and, and I watch comparisons and I watch other videos and, and histories and, and ride throughs and everything like that. And, uh, I mean, it's great. Yeah. Well, guys, thank, we did it. Thank you so much for participating in episode one of the podcast. It's a little long this time, but that's okay. We're getting feelers out for what works and what doesn't. Um, plus, all three of us like to talk, you know. But there's nothing wrong with talking. I mean, we can have, again, a part two. <laughs> there's Part twos are okay. Yeah, cut it, it in it's half. totally fine. Just cut out my dialogue. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, guys, thanks again, once again, for doing this. Uh, we'll see what becomes of this. It's only episode one. Um, but thanks again. I'm excited for this semester. I'm excited to be back with you guys working on projects again. Um, you're two of my closest friends right now. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the progress that both of you have made coming into this program uh, with no visual art experience. And some of the stuff that you've been able to pull off is, is genuinely impressive. So look up these guys. Check out their LinkedIn. <laughs> if you want, you can uh, find, waiting for that find, email. Their, find their portfolios there. You're getting noticed. <laughs> and, and if you're a... Uh, a young person who, uh, you know, was a theater kid in high school and, and likes to write plays, uh, 
there's definitely pathways for you to enter this experience because, you know, here's three people that are kind of testaments to that. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening to Theme Park School, a themed experience educational podcast. Have a question about the podcast or themed experience in general? Be sure to reach out to us at themeparkschoolpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at themeparkschoolpodcast for book recommendations, helpful resources, and more. Theme Park School, a themed experience educational podcast, is not affiliated with any theme park design firm, university, or trade organization. Views expressed are those of the host and the guests.